they're big ones. So in the U.S., if your business has started in the U.S., oh, you may. You know what? I am so sorry, guys. I'm going to interrupt because mm -hmm. I, I swear to God I'm watching the chat. The audio wasn't coming through. Okay. Now the audio is coming through. Now the audio is coming so, through. So okay. let's start no over, guys. I, I'm going to do a hard reset, and we're going to clip that, that introduction off here. Welcome, everybody, mm -hmm. to Nimsy Live. We are talking today to Lee Densmer from Globia, Globia Content Solutions, or Globia, Globia Content. Globia Content Marketing. Globia yep. Content Marketing. And we have a great show because we are talking about the article that she wrote recently on page 39 of Multilingual Magazine here in the May issue. If you haven't gotten that... All right, now everyone can hear. Awesome. It's the one with Scott mm -hmm. Schwalbach on the cover. And um, we're going to dive right into it today. I'll give a, a quick introduction to Lee here. Uh, Lee is, as I mentioned, the founder and content strategist at Globia Marketing Solution. Uh, a quick introduction to the topic. Content marketing mm -hmm. generates six times higher conversion rates than other approaches to marketing. Content builds trust, drives awareness, and inspires customers to buy. 90% of businesses do generate content, but what happens when you go global? Does the home market content work for that market? A resounding no. This discussion with marketing expert Lee Densmer addresses the benefits of content marketing, approaches for reaching new markets and content, and how you might get started. Lee Densmer has... 20 years of experience in the localization mm -hmm. industry in different roles, such as solutions architect, product marketer, and content marketer. Most recently, she started a business, Globia Content Marketing, that provides services to LSPs around messaging and differentiation, differentiation, content strategy, content planning, and content creation. She is a world traveler, speaks Spanish, and has lived or worked in three Latin American countries. And now, Lee, I'm sorry, I'm going to have... Thank I'm, you, Tucker. Uh, thank you again. Um, and apologies <laughs> to everybody that the audio wasn't working the first time we tried this. Um, but I want to go back because I think it's important that we talk about Globia and the work that you're doing there. So I want to go back and reintroduce uh, Globia. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing over there and the, the types of services you offer. You bet. There is my uh, website that went live last week, and I'm excited about it. Um, Let's see. I started Globia about five months ago. I've been, like Tucker said, in the look industry for 20 years. So that is my love. That is my area of expertise. I left for some reason and went into SaaS for a year. I learned a lot about B2B marketing, but missed the look industry. I missed the people. I missed the cultural aspects. I missed the language. When I decided I wanted to come back, I was talking to myself about how. How do I want to show up in the industry as a marketer? And I decided I wanted to do work for different LSPs and really help with differentiation and messaging, as we all know how hard it is to differentiate in the industry, help with content creation that, that um, reaches the audience in the way that the company wants to reach the audience and in a way that resonates with their audience. So um, that's how I built my business. And there's definitely a niche for it. A lot of marketing departments need a lot of help. And so I'm able to engage with those with those markets to help them with those departments to help them reach their audience well it's particularly hard you say you do a lot mm -hmm. of work for lsps and this is the question mm -hmm. we get all the time at nimsy how do we differentiate mm -hmm. from because from, we're all providing words and yes it is a highly fragmented and highly niche industry but um it's a struggle out there for folks and i imagine i mean it's a struggle mm -hmm. that you know very well as i mean 
just to recap over this, Lee and I, full disclosure, mm-hmm. Lee and I used to work very closely mm-hmm. together back in the Moravia days. Mm-hmm. And you were the, the head of content over there, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I, I would, you would occasionally reach out to me to write some blogs for the Moravia blog. Right. So mm-hmm. that's where we got to know each other pretty well. So Yeah, a long time ago. As I mentioned, we... Um, what we are talking about today is the article that she wrote in Multilingual Magazine, and I'm going to pull that up here again. And as usual, I pulled together some quotes from the article, and I thought we could just go through that. The article is called Content Marketing Strategy for Your Global Audience. And our first, um, as an introduction here, the first thing I wanted to say is this nice little quote that starts off the, the article. Something appealing to everyone is specific to no one. Instead, the goal is to create and distribute content that is customized, appropriate, and effective wherever it goes. And then you have, I love I love your writing style. I've copied a lot of your writing style because lots of bulleted lists make it, oh, very, yeah. make it very easy for me. Um, <laughs> benefits of content marketing. We have here, bringing people closer to your brand with content that helps ease their personal and professional lives, building brand authority and credibility in the global marketplace growing trust and earning you the right to introduce customers to your product, moving target customers through their journey of being curious to being committed. And now I believe we're caught up to the point where, (laughs) where we had to uh, do a little re-recording here. And my question to you was, this is all the complexity of content marketing and we can get into the weeds on that, but I'd rather not spend this time laying a foundation about content marketing itself, but rather talk about Mm -hmm. What makes global content marketing different or more challenging? What, what is the difference and what are the considerations people have to have when um, doing content marketing for a global audience? Right. That's the million dollar question. And frankly, there's not a lot of content out there about it. Um, Pam Dinder wrote a great book, but it's really the only one I can find. So I don't believe there's a lot of awareness about the need to change your approach when you take your content marketing strategy from your home market abroad. So there there are a lot of things that are similar in terms of content strategy, similar to whatever country you're launching in or you're trying to reach, but there are some things that are substantially different and we can go through them and talk about them. So the first thing you have to think about is what are the goals for your content? So the goals in your home market might be um, lead generation or it might be sales, but in a new market, your goal probably at the first is going to be brand recognition and engagement. So the brand awareness goal drives a different type of content and strategy than the conversion and sales goal. And so that's where you start is what are your goals for your content in that new market? Um, It's also important to realize that your buyer may be of the same demographic, but the way they buy or the way they search is different than in your home market. The places they go for influence and information is possibly different than in your home market. So you actually need to do your buyer personas again, and you need to do them for that market. And most marketers dig really deep for their buyers in their home market and they go abroad and they, they don't think that they need to calibrate or do it again. Yeah. They just swap out the Johns for Juans and call it a day. (laughs) Right. I've worked with those clients. Yeah. And I I get it because buyer personas are a pain in the butt. Right. You got to put a lot of time and effort into Mm -hmm. it. And 
you know, mm-hmm. just to create the buyer personas for your home market, that's a big enough task. And then to have to replicate that for mm-hmm. all of your priority markets, eh, it's, it's, it's a big ask. It's a big lift. That's right. Although there are ways you can have AI help you with buyer personas. Dang it. Um, I, I, I've been timing. Yeah. I've been timing on every <laughs> podcast I do. I've been timing how long it takes us to start talking about AI. We didn't make it very far this time, but go ahead, go ahead, dive that deep, but buyer personas, it is onerous, lots of research, lots of time. And there are ways that you can use AI by prompting them such as what is a, I don't know, I'm a, I'm a middle-aged white woman. So what is a middle-aged white woman in Spain? Where does she go for her information? Mm -hmm. Or what are her objections to purchasing some certain product? You can prompt AI to help with this, but Tucker, let's move on from AI. Please. Thank, you don't have to ask me twice. You mentioned that you mentioned the strategy and goals yes. of your marketing, right? <laughs> Super important. And we have, a, a, of course, a nice bulleted list here I wanted to bring back okay. up. And once again, this is directly yep. from the article, guys. Strategic planning with your team is required mm-hmm. before you can publish content in your new market. Your marketing strategy for each locale should include... One, goals for your content. Do you need to drive awareness, website traffic, increase leads? Who your buyer is, their mm-hmm. cultural realities and preferences, mm-hmm. and what motivates them? Your tone and style. Is it the mm-hmm. same or different? For example, some locales prefer a more formal manner of address than is typical for North America. What topics should you create content about? What of con- what's, What is of concern in that market? The types and formats of content you'll create. What is most popular in that culture? How you'll distribute and promote the content? Where does the customer get their information? How you'll manage the content creation and publication, the process for getting it done, and we're going to talk. We're going to talk about that um, towards okay. the end here. Uh, your SEO strategy: what local users search for is different than in your home market, and how you'll measure content performance. And we, we could have a whole long discussion on just this, mm-hmm. just this That's slide alone. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. Maybe pick one that that you like. One of these points. Mm. Um, pick one. I think maybe I want to tell a story, Tucker. For okay, a tell a story. Really under- so, yeah, otherwise, I was going to make you talk about SEO. No, I, ah, oh yeah. Um, and then I think my favorite thing to talk about is process because I'm 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 a practical person. I'm all about getting stuff done. I'm all about doing the strategy and then moving forward into getting stuff done. But let me tell you a story first. So I think maybe all of you know about the Got Milk story, the milk campaign in the United States, and it was Got Milk. Well. A um, San Francisco agency translated that to, are you lactating on accident? So they didn't do any market research. They didn't understand their buyer. And that's what they came up with was, are you lactating? Well, either that or they had a very specific buyer persona. (laughs) I mean, if we wanted to give them some benefit of the doubt. Maybe And maybe it was a publicity stunt, right? They were like, we're going to get our name on people's lips. It is just publicity. All publicity is good publicity. So they missed the mark completely because of a bad translation. Another interesting thing was that in the Latin American culture, it is unfathomable to have to run out for milk. And in the US, it's common like, oh, crap, I don't have the milk. I need, can you run to the store? I need the milk for dinner. But in Latin America, that is kind of a slam on, on um, a Latin American homemaker. They, they don't do that. They right, are prepared. They don't run out of milk. They don't run out of milk. It oh. doesn't happen. It's, it's right, not a right, thing. Right. So it, it's a perfect example of a, of a huge mishap because they didn't do all this work to understand what they needed to do with content for, for that buyer, for that particular buyer. And those mistakes are 
you Google translation mistakes or global brand mistakes and you get these crazy stories like Electrolux translated at some point to that sucks. And, you know, we all make those jokes about vacuum cleaners. Well, but, it, yeah. And everyone that's yeah. been in the localization industry for a while mm-hmm. has, mm-hmm. you know, has in their back pocket, a few of those examples, you know, right. the Nova, mm-hmm. the, the Chevy right. Nova, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I mean, and that's just basic stuff mm-hmm. that you need to avoid with content marketing. But mm-hmm. I, you know, I warned you, I wanted yeah. to talk a little bit about SEO strategy Okay. because how, mm-hmm. how people search in mm-hmm. different markets is different. And I've worked on enough of those projects to kind of understand mm-hmm. what that means. But for mm-hmm. the sake of the audience, what does that mean? People search Absolutely. different. Yeah. Um, they use different keywords. Um, they use different keywords. That means that when, if you were to just translate your home market keywords into Spanish or German or another language, you wouldn't get the right keywords. You wouldn't get it right. You would end up with a word for word correspondence that is not precise enough to how that target market searches. So they're searching on different key terms. They're searching on different long tail key terms and it is a localization process. And by that, I mean, you truly need to start the research from scratch so you can choose the right keywords for that market. Don't think about translation anymore. It's not applicable for keywords. Um, another thing is that if you're in the US trying to figure out how people search in Greece or Turkey, you need to VPN, to use a VPN to, to um, access the tools in the right way. Because if I search for something, I mean, it doesn't work if you think about it. I'm sitting here in the US conducting searches and it's not the same as sitting in Athens conducting searches. Right. So there's a lot of components and I'm, I'm not an international SEO expert. I know enough to be dangerous. That's a whole I know science. enough to say, yeah, it's a, it's a big thing. It's a whole thing and you really need expertise. And there's a couple experts on LinkedIn that, that I can point you to Yeah, yeah. if you want. Yeah. But um, very important misconception that keyword in foreign markets is just translation. Well, because yeah. And I, I, I tell that to, I've told that to more than a few clients. They're like, we're going mm-hmm. to translate our keywords before we translate. No, and no. they send you a spreadsheet with keywords mm-hmm. and they're like, translate these. And it's like, eh, like I appreciate what you're trying to do, but mm-hmm. I don't think that's really going to hit the mark. Right. There's, there's a whole process that you need to go through for you essentially mm-hmm. need to do uh, keyword research for every market that you're going into. Right? That's right. And this is why a lot of folks, you know, going back to mm-hmm. what we were talking about before, a lot of folks skip a lot of this stuff just because it is a time investment and they don't have the resources available in house. And my recommendation is always, you know, find a firm that knows what they're doing, find a, find an external consultant like mm-hmm. Lee here that knows what they're doing and make it their problem. Essentially. Right. <laughs> um, I, w- one thing I had, uh, we, we talked about SEO. Let me bring it back up here. Tone and style. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. as many of us non-English speakers know, not every like some languages have different formalities. For example, um, you know, the formal you and the informal you, and they mm-hmm. actually use those formalities. Mm-hmm. And you know, I've worked on projects before that were for German, for example. Um, mm-hmm. I worked on this one project that was a smart device, and this was back in the day. This is back before smart devices were really even a thing. So people were, it was kind of still the wild west. There wasn't, you know, standard um, styles and stuff out there. Mm-hmm. There weren't expectations, let's say, um, user expectations around them. And I remember having a big debate about whether to use the 
formal or the informal version of you from the device, the device when it's speaking to you, right? Mm. And the client really wanted to use the informal because, you know, Silicon Valley clients, of course, they're hip, cool, and, you know, talk to people like they're friends. And that's the modern voice that we were used to, especially out of Silicon Valley these days. And heavy pushback from the German market because mm -hmm. they saw the device as like, no, this is like my servant. <laughs> like this, this is a device that's part of my home doing things like this thing works for me. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it needs to, it needs to use the formal. And it, at the end of the day, I think the client won. I think it, it ended up using formal, but these are the type mm -hmm. of uh, considerations to keep in mind. Exactly. That's actually a perfect example. That's fascinating. So the perception of that market in how they wanted to be addressed by the brand um, needs to trump my feelings about how my tone, my tone and voice, yep. how I want to put forward my tone and my voice. The customer has to trump that. Back to the buyer personas. And, and the, the back right? to the buyer personas. And buyer personas are, they're, it's a different ball game than it was even 10 mm -hmm. years ago with like buyer personas mm -hmm. because it is nowadays, it is more, more easy, more available, I should say, than ever mm -hmm. to actually have that relationship with your end users, mm -hmm. right? With everything being online, the ease of access and communication channels and all of that stuff. Like it is possible nowadays to actually talk to your end users. And, and we do a lot of this work at NIMSY where we're mm -hmm. running user perception, user experience studies, focus groups, stuff like that. Exactly. But nowadays you don't need to do these super expensive in-person focus groups in order to understand mm -hmm. what your users are, are what their expectations are. So, I mean, it's easier to create those buyer personas accurately because you can actually talk mm -hmm. to your customers and understand what, what's going mm -hmm. on between their ears. And it's easier to keep them updated because user expectations change over mm -hmm. time, I've found. Yeah, it sounds like maybe you've maybe you've taught some of the buyer persona classes that you guys do at NIMSY, but that's that's I, exactly I may right. I have. I've. Yeah. I'd have to check. I, ha I, may I have. To, I have too many not. workshops. I can't keep track of them. They're all the same. If, if my customer success team asks me to do a buyer persona workshop, I'll do a buyer persona workshop. Um, <laughs> all right. So what do we need to know? So we're talking about customizing our buyer personas for individual markets. And I brought up, this is directly from the article in multilingual. What do they need to know? Beliefs, feelings, preferences, values, mm -hmm. buying preferences, process and behavior. Right. So how people search is different. How people buy is different, mm -hmm. right? Um, where they get their information, how they prefer to consume content expectations, need, issues, interests, uh, just like in your home market, you need to create a buyer persona. We talked about that. Demographics, psychographics, which is their beliefs, how they buy preferences, values, fears. We have a really interesting, like ongoing mm -hmm. research project here at MZ Insights that we call Project Underwear. And it's the brainchild of Gabriel, <laughs> who you know, Gabriel mm -hmm. Karandisovsky. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's all about this. Like, how do people buy um, in... In, in other markets. And mm -hmm. it's fascinating because we don't think about that if we're just sitting here in our home market. Like, how do I buy? I buy from mm -hmm. Amazon. I buy mm -hmm. online. And I expect delivery within 48 hours. Mm -hmm. And I um, am okay giving my credit card information online, right? right? And I trust the online reviews, right? Whereas another market 
would not buy online. That is not their primary mode of doing it. They might be doing it. They certainly wouldn't put their credit card into an mm-hmm. online form. They're not reading the buyer reviews because they're in asking their cousins for recommendations, right? Like all of these different cultural cultural differences to take into account. Exactly. And yeah, I, I was reading up on the lack of comfort in buying online and the lack of comfort even still in credit cards. And the, the further east you go, actually, there's a lack of comfort in buying online and on, on um, the use of credit cards. So you need to know that. So somebody might be doing their research online. They're trying to find out about the product. They're doing top of funnel research online, but then they're going to go to a store and they're going to pay at the store because that's where their trust is. So you, you need to know that because it changes the way that you're going to present and try to engage with that, with that target customer in that culture. And I want to distinguish too between Tucker between demographics and psychographics. Yeah. And yeah, you you yeah, that's right there. So demographics is data, name, age, location, gender, on and on. Not very Which honestly not, anymore. Thank you. Right? Like yeah. not who cares? Like not very useful. Not very important anymore. I think that there used to be more focus on the demographics and I don't hang I don't hang my hat on those. You really want to dig dip deeper into what they believe, what their goals are, what they feel, what they think, which transcends gender. It transcends age. Come on, I don't, I don't care where you live. I don't really care if you have a master's, master's right. or a bachelor's degree. But how do you buy and what do you feel about it? Exactly. So let's all of that other stuff is that. just kind of to get you to that point of how, how do I buy? Because you can draw mm-hmm. generalities around, like, well, people with master's degrees with mm-hmm. two kids by like this, right? Sure. Like, you know, like I can speak, you know, single dad speaking. Like I I can definitely see myself using DoorDash for grocery shopping or like home delivery grocery shopping, right? Heck yeah. Why? Because mm-hmm. negotiating getting your freaking shoes on with three kids to go to the grocery <laughs> store is a pain in the butt, right? Mm-hmm. But single guys with no kids, like they're going to go to the grocery store because they've got time right but ultimately Mm -hmm. i don't care if my buyers are single i don't care if they're married with kids Mm -hmm. i don't care any of that what i care about is that buying so that demographic Mm -hmm. data can kind of get you to the next step but it's not not the end goal in and of itself Mm -hmm. and i feel a lot of buyer personas at least that i've reviewed kind of stop there and call it a day right it's a misfire right right one thing that does interest me is generational differences Okay. The millennial versus my son's generation, which is Gen Gen Z. I think my son is the I I generation. Never knew a world without the internet. Versus my parents, the boomers, who are still kind of you know, who don't have a Wi-Fi connection in their home. They don't know what Wi-Fi means. Exactly. They do have it, but I have to fix it when I go to their house, and then they're they're just like, "It's in the air! It's in the air!" I love you, mom, if you're listening. But yeah, every time, (laughs) it's fixing my parents' Wi-Fi. Every time. Where are my files? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where are my passwords? <laughs> okay, but that, that's a whole, yeah, okay. We, oh. we, okay, we're going to get down a rabbit hole here. Let's. Where are my passwords? Yes, anyway. So, exactly. okay. And so what I've, um, what I've shared here are some of the top sources that I have found for research because um, you don't need to go to the internet and hunt and pack for different sources of research. A lot of it's out there. And I encourage well, you all to check out the collage group. This is one that I love. They, there's a lot of bad research out there too, right? Like mm-hmm. we, you and I were kind of chatting about this either before I took mm-hmm. us off mute or before mm-hmm. 
the the started At is some like point. when it comes to marketing, I find there's a lot of people that just they they talk a good game, but they don't know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I, I I caution people out there like be careful who you're taking advice from in marketing. You want to have trusted sources, mm-hmm. so that's why I think this slide's really mm-hmm. valuable because you're going to tell us what those trusted free right mm-hmm. sources yeah. Yeah. sources are. You can you can solicit custom research at great expense and time. I don't think you need to. And you should Let's from see. Nimsy Insights. <laughs> www.nimsy.com. Contact us today. Time out. Yeah. yeah. Contact us today. When you need it, you should go to Nimsy to Thank get you. that custom research. But but if you don't need it, if you're just starting out, you can go to these places. Um who give sometimes country by country insights about diff- about that country and about different buyers in that country. Um, all these companies, at least Collage Group, very specifically talks about a concept called cultural intelligence. And can we talk about that for a minute, Tucker? Please, yes, it's yeah. fascinating. Yeah, it is fascinating. So it is a competency that global businesses need to develop, a lot like emotional intelligence where you become aware of and you educate yourself in the ins and outs of that culture. And the gist is that you cannot connect with that culture unless you have culture intelligence. And then some of the tangential concepts and words related to that are cultural relevance. So you need to be building culturally relevant experiences for your target market. You can only do that if you know about the market. So these are, these are concepts that are important when going global that are relatively new concepts, concept of cultural awareness. Yeah, yeah they speak Spanish, but how do they live? How do they right. think? There's 26 markets that speak Spanish. Are they all the same? Right. Hell no, so far from it, right? Right. And this also yeah. gets into, yeah, they speak Spanish. What dialect of Spanish? What dialect of and, Spanish? And how important, yep. and just to use Spanish as an example, how important mm. is it that you talk to them in their local dialect? Like, what is the tolerance? We talk a lot about mm-hmm. um, tolerance for English because, mm-hmm. eh, you know, you can reach a lot of markets out there just having an English website because mm-hmm. there's, you know, a lot of people speak English in the world. But right. what's the tolerance for that? And then What's we get the in preference for that. Exactly. And we get mm-hmm. into deeper, you know, using Spanish as an example, like what is the preference, you know, what is universal Spanish, you know, cause there's Spanish for Spain. I know it is. It's I mean, a lie. I know it is, but you know, okay. don't tell my clients. They think okay. anyways, um, you know, for the audience, there's European Spanish and then there's uh, Latin American Spanish. And even using the term Latin American Spanish, I feel cheesy. Because there's a lot of countries and dialects within Latin America itself. But mm-hmm. just, you know, be efficient. A lot of companies split, bifurcate it between those two. Right. And then you have universal Spanish, which, like you say, is a lie. Can we talk about that? Yeah, please. <laughs> so universal Spanish is an attempt to create a version of Spanish that appeals to everyone. And I always it's say that if Esperanto it, for Spanish speakers, it's, yes, it's some kind of boiled down Spanish that doesn't really exist anywhere. And I always say that if you're trying to appeal to everyone, you're appealing to no one. So as a Spanish speaker, I might read it and go they're They're really not talking to me. Like I understand the Spanish. It, it, it is Spanish, but they're not using any components of the language that are specific to me and my culture. Yeah, it is a acceptable way to reach a market when you're starting out because you need to translate, I would argue, no matter what. 
But if you can't afford content for 10 Latin American markets, then yes, it, it's a viable way to go. And LSPs sell it all the time and they should yep, because yep. it is it is a choice and it's a viable choice. Well, and it for lots of businesses. You know, brings up the question is like, what is the intent of the content? Mm -hmm. is, is your intent to be understood or is your intent to reach the hearts and minds or to persuade, right? And, you know, technical documentation, like as long as you're understood, you're fine. But marketing content Perfect is example. more about like persuading. People. Perfect example, right? Is it an FAQ? Is it a user guide? Then you really don't, universal Spanish might be just fine. You really aren't applying to appealing to any kind of emotional side of a human. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's look at mm -hmm. to adapt or wait, no, did yes. I skip a slide? No, I wanted to talk about this first. Uh, the difference yeah. between global and local content, because this is kind of what we were chatting about here. Uh, mm -hmm. A piece of truly global content would have to cover an issue that people experience everywhere and deal with it in a way that's relevant everywhere. It would explore an idea that appeals to people, no matter which region or market they are in. There would be a common understanding of the core message and the underlying customer insight behind it, but that's a high bar and not many pieces will actually pass the test. So I, I want to talk about this mm -hmm. because... This is, so if I'm creating content in English, I'm an American mm -hmm. creating content for my home market in English. Um, I'm creating it about, I'm picking the topics. I'm picking the subjects and the focal points right. and all of that stuff. And I can pick a topic that's very American centric, or I can try to pick topics that are going to be interesting in outside of America, which will then be easier to localize in, in, in a meaningful way, right? But it goes back to what you're talking about. If you're trying to pick something that's interesting for everybody, we, we have mm -hmm. this at NIMSI when we're writing research reports, right? Like mm -hmm. it's easy to, because our industry is so fragmented and everybody in our industry has different specific needs and challenges. It's easy to write. You can write a report that's kind of interesting and kind of useful to a ton of people. Or you can write a report that's really interesting and really useful to a very small amount of people. And like here at NIMSI Insights, when we're publishing our, mm -hmm. our public, not our custom research, that's all focused on individual clients. But when we're publishing our, our public research out there, we're always trying to, to walk that line. Mm -hmm. Very tricky, right. I don't, I think that global content is another myth, just like global English or global Spanish. There, there are some places where it is in the best interest of your business with the resources and the money you have that you need to try to create global content. Some content types lend itself better to that than, than others. But I mean, look at the words that I used in here, experience everywhere, relevant everywhere. It's just not possible. Yeah. So, and I read a lot about creating videos with universal images and using generic language and using colors that work because even colors are different. The yeah. preferences for colors are even different from market to market. Green means something very different in different corners of the globe. And so does red. Yeah. But there really is no, again, another myth, the myth of truly global content. All right. You heard it here, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. Don't believe mm -hmm. in global content. You heard it here. <clears throat> Um, all right, now we can get into mm -hmm. to adapt or not to adapt. Question questions to ask before choosing pieces to localize. So this mm -hmm. is when you're choosing what to mm -hmm. what to localize. Um, what size is your audience? Will the money spent extend your reach and achieve the number of leads you hope to generate? So ROI is a big one 
right? Yep. Uh, will it make content more relevant or will it just make it different? How many locally generated? And that's that's a good point. Um, well, that's my favorite there. Yeah, I mm -hmm. I, I hadn't read that until just Ding. now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's I, I want to hear about that. Let me just read the last one here. How many locally generated or localized pieces of content would your audience have an appetite for? So yeah, yeah. Talk, talk to us about that. Will it make your content more relevant or just different? That's clever. So yeah, it um. It's it's a nuanced question. So just different means a variation, right? Is it just a version of what you had in English? Is it just an alternate? Or is it more relevant, more focused, more targeted, targeted? Um, if it's just different, you want to think twice. You know, especially if it's an if it's a market that that tolerates English or that will tolerate a global Spanish, then yes, it's right. just an alternate and maybe an inexpensive alternate. Just different is probably going to be cheaper than more relevant. Right. Yeah. But by more well, relevant, that's truly customized. And sometimes just different. That's the goal. And that's fine. It right. Can be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this is, you know, to adapt or not to adapt. Mm -hmm. uh, um, right. Because if we're treating all content equally, then we're not. It goes back to that ROI. Right. If we, if we want to maximize mm -hmm. our ROI, then we want to focus our investment mm -hmm. into areas that are going to lead to that advanced ROI. And that might mean mm -hmm. not translating or not localizing everything, but rather just tearing out your content mm -hmm. into different tiers. And, you know, this, this tier we treat as transcreation tier mm -hmm. two, we treat as, I don't know, marketing translation. You know, if mm -hmm. we're talking about myths, let's talk about marketing translation, right? Is basically just expensive <laughs> translation. Um, mm -hmm. You know, transcreation, marketing translation. At the at the top, you would have like in market copywriting. Right, and at the very bottom, MT. Right? And at the very bottom, raw MT. Mm -hmm. Right, mm -hmm. and I think we have a slide on that. Uh, yeah, we have a the next slide. But before we go through that, let's talk mm -hmm. about the prioritization. Um, sure. I'll bring it up on screen here. Yeah. So. Sure. This, these are the, I'm going to let you read the list here okay. um, or pick out items that you like. Prioritize the following for new markets. Yeah. So I would start with your hero content. What's the content that really represents your brand, that really represents your differentiators? And that concept of hero content is like your, it's your cornerstone content. It's who you are and why you exist. I would always localize that. It's your key messaging and your key face to the market. Website, second. And and uh, website localization is not trivial and not simple. There's a lot of engineering and backend stuff that has to that has to go on there. So those are complicated projects. And then I would go for any content that's critical to the sales process. So you have to talk to your sales team. What do you guys use when you're selling? And so on. You can see here the list of priorities. Content that's used in email campaigns, for example. Customer support content, and then your top your top popular content, according to visits and downloads, and then everything else at the bottom. And probably Tucker, I just had this thought, you can probably apply the methodology along this list in the same way. So hero content, um, full court press, marketing, translation, transcreation, all the way down in your hierarchy here to um, more simple cost-effective forms of translation at the bottom there. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And I like this last bullet point because it brings up the mm -hmm. topic of you should be analyzing the performance of your content mm -hmm. and prioritizing accordingly, right? So right. It, it's a very data-driven approach mm -hmm. to things. 
All right, so now yeah. that we talked about the prioritization, so how do we prioritize those things? What are mm -hmm. the different approaches mm -hmm. to it? We talked about in-country copywriting, mm -hmm. transcreation, translation, mm -hmm. machine translation. Um, and what are the skills? And we talked about this mm -hmm. the other day on a podcast. Like, what are the new skills that, the new roles, the new jobs, the new skills that are being required? And as we get more mature, complex, mm -hmm. whatever the term is in our mm -hmm. content, global content strategies. Right. Um, content strategist at all is a fairly new, pro new profession. Um, as a discipline of content marketing, there's still plenty of small content teams who don't have a strategist. They have a writer, a good copywriter can serve as a strategist, okay. but this body, this person who really understands all the foundations that we spoke about is an important role. Um, you don't need one per market but you need one who's knowledgeable about the differences between the markets and the things that you need to know. But a content strategist is an important piece of a team. What, why don't team. you need one per market? Uh, apologies. Like just, I've worked with and, clients before that mm -hmm. I, I've worked with a client, like you walk into their office and they've got 40 people sitting there for 40 different countries. They have a content person for each market that owns that mm -hmm. market. Um, and that's, a, that's probably a big company. That's probably a very big company. It's, it's big enough, right? I'm not going to name names, but it's big enough. But still, when I see that, I think, eh, eh, like, is this necessary? Me too. Me too. I think you need a solid, solid copywriter for each market. And there's a second person there, a solid in-country, um, bicultural copywriter, fluent in that culture, but, but capable of understanding the, the home market okay. and target market culture. But a strategist, I think, is one person in your home base. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's how I would see it. So, this, And the copywriters may report up into the strategist. So you have a copywriter per market and then you, your big picture strategist. What's your bird's name? It's Delilah. She is. She <laughs> ate her Wheaties this morning. I'm trying to get her to shut up. Um, audio issues abounding today, mm, ladies and gentlemen. It. So a little bit of post-processing to do when we turn this into a podcast, mm -hmm. I think. Well, Lee, I think that's all the slides that I pulled out from mm -hmm. here today. What did I forget to ask you? What did I forget to talk to you about? What did you forget to ask me? Wow. Um, you have my article in front of you. Let's see. What would I want to talk about? Um, Go to multilingual.com, mm -hmm. guys. Multilingual. If you're a subscriber, if you're a digital subscriber, you can check it out. The digital version. If you're a print subscriber, you should have that in your mailbox. Mm -hmm. This and a bunch of other articles coming your way. Also, and I just actually realized this the other day. Um, if you're not a subscriber, then you can still access our our magazine content three months after it's published. I think is when mm -hmm. we open up the archives. So the multilingual archives are available for everybody to go check out. You don't need to be a subscriber to check I those did out. Not know that. Yeah. I do not. I probably shouldn't say that. I'm probably going to lose mm -hmm. some subscribers now. But yeah, gr great article, Lee. Thank you. I Thank love you. it. Was educational. I learned something. As all of the best content out there has something mm -hmm. to teach us. I think. So yeah. um, yeah, great article and just great catching up with you it's you it's too. been mm -hmm. it's been too many years and i'm i been too many years congratulations <laughs> again on the launch of your your company i'll mm -hmm. pull that up here so we can plug it one more time it Thank is you. globia 
Um, URL will be a content.com. Create connections mm -hmm. through content. She offers content development, content audits and repurposing, campaign, camp, uh, global content planning and translation strategy. Go check it out, guys. Go Globia check it content. out. Yeah. And with that, I will bring us home here today. Thank you so much, Lee. Uh, ladies, gentlemen. Yeah. It's been it's been real. Thank you for joining us here on Nimsy Live. If you enjoyed this episode, once the audio started working, then join us next time in 45 minutes. We're having a double feature today. I'm talking to Yosece right. about his recent article in Multilingual Magazine. I'm going to be talking about two of my favorite things, translation and the Bible. So if you want to learn more about what the heck that means, yes. come come listen to, to Yost and me geek mm -hmm. out about translation and the Bible. Uh, if you haven't already done so, mm -hmm. make sure that you're following us here on LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Twitch now, and all of that stuff. Uh, I appreciate you, Lee, for Thank joining you. us. It was fun. Yes, my yeah. pleasure. Okay. I, I appreciate Lee. I appreciate my colleagues here at MZ Insights doing all of the hard work so I can talk to people on this podcast. I appreciate everybody in our industry who helps us with the research, taking briefings and filling out surveys. I appreciate everybody in chat today, leaving comments and letting me know that the sound's not working. And uh, yeah, I don't have my script obviously in front of me today, so I'm just going to cut my losses and say have a great day, guys. We'll talk to you have soon. Have a great day. Okay. <laughs> Cheers. Bye.